Hello and welcome to the Achieve Your Goals podcast, the show that empowers you to wake up to your full potential and achieve your biggest goals and dreams. I am your host, Hal Elrod, and I invite you to join us each week as we share actionable strategies to take your life to the next level, as well as interview world-class experts and entrepreneurs who have achieved extraordinary goals themselves, and we ask them to give you a peek behind the curtain and teach you exactly what you need to do to do the same. Ready? Here we go. All right. I am here, ladies and gentlemen, with Steve Sims. I want to give you an official intro, right? Because I know if you're like me, you know, you pretend to be humble, but you, of course, like the sound of your bio. You go, wow. Like for me, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually, when I hear my bio, it's surprising. You ever have that? You're like, I did all that. That's so weird. I, you know, <laughs> I'm still this insecure, you know, kid in a grown man's body. And I feel weird when I hear that I did all these things. So, <laughs> all right. So everybody, listen up, listen up. Let me dive in here. This, so Steve Sims is an ugly kid from the outskirts of London who wasn't born into the world of luxury, but certainly holds his place there now. As the founder of Bluefish, one of the top personal concierge services and an expert marketer with the luxury industry, Steve has been quoted in various publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, London Sunday Times, South China Morning Post, and many more. This guy has been on TV and has been a speaker at a variety of networks, groups, and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard twice. You paying attention now, right? You want to sing with your favorite rock star? Be serenaded by Andre Bocelli? Walk the red carpet at an A-list Oscar party? Get married in the Vatican, dive to the wreck of the Titanic. These are just a few highlights of what Steve provides for his clients. He makes the impossible possible. An entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word, Steve is well-regarded within the luxury world for his innovation and down-to-earth personality, known for his honesty, integrity, and doing things his way. Steve creates experiences for his clients that they could never have imagined being possible. And I want you to hear some of these stories because I've been in the audience at events that Steve has spoken at. I love the guy. I'm blown away by the guy and what he's able to do. And and the title of today's podcast is The Art of Making Anything Happen. Because as you know, this is the Achieve Your Goals podcast. I want you to be able to not only hear Steve's extraordinary story, to fall in love with the guy through his authenticity, his transparency, the way that I have. But of course, I want you to walk away with actionable strategies that you can implement into your world to achieve your goals and, according to Steve Sims, to make anything happen. My brother, Steve, how are you, buddy? Well, I'm flawed and just amazed. So thank you very much for the intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, brother. I appreciate you. And, and, you know, I'm looking, I've got your book in my hand, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, your first testimonial on the back, your first endorsement is from Sir Elton John. Like, what? <laughs> who, who has an endorsement on their book from a Sir Elton John, right? And that's followed by Forbes magazine, Entrepreneur magazine, Peter Diamandis, Jason Gagnard, Joe Polish. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. So, uh, man, yeah, I'm excited to introduce you to the, our audience. And I want to hear your story. I've heard parts of it before. I want to hear some of the extraordinary stories. You know, some of the things I mentioned in your intro, right? Being serenaded by Andre Bocelli getting married in the Vatican. <laughs> you know, you invite me to these A-list Oscar parties all the time. I get your texts and it's, I, you know, it's like, I haven't been able to make a date work yet, but I'm like, oh, how can I not go to Elton John's Oscar party with Steve? Like, <laughs> this is, you know, you're a friend uh, that, uh, yeah, I um, never cease to be impressed by what you're up to. Um, so what's new, man? What are you excited about right now? What's going on in your world? Well, a lot. You know, the, uh, the book came out last October 
um, which I was very proud to release, but was certainly not a not ready for the kind of flood that it it, it created. Um, so it's it's had me it's had me booked up. I'm actually booked up on speaking gigs. Uh, I think the last one I booked was March 2019. Nice, um, that's awesome. So it's just it's just taking me down a whole new path. Now, me and you have known each other for a while, but up until last year, where I got known a lot more by by the people that were buying the book. Before that, I was just this kind of like scary looking dude that would just come into these events that no one really knew what he did, and. <laughs> That was actually quite good for me. I was quite happy about that. Yeah. Being kind of a mystery. Well, you know me. I'm not a warm and fuzzy kind of guy. <laughs> and so I like to meet real people. I don't have time for the, hey, how are you? Do you have my business card? I don't have time for that. Yeah. So I like to meet good people. Like when we met, you know, you sit down and you chat and you get to know someone and, and you fall in love or it repels you, you know. you. But that's how I like to be. So... Since the book came out, it's kind of got me doing more consulting, more speaking gigs, more coaching. And whereas I used to coach and consult for like major jewelry companies, jet charter companies, Formula One teams, award shows, I'm now coaching and consulting for people that own hat manufacturers. There's a new up and coming jewelry line, uh, a makeup line, a lipstick line. Um, it's the smaller businesses, which I've got to admit, getting married in the Vatican is very exciting. But getting these people on their feet in the right format, that's actually becoming more exciting for me. So I'm quite turned on with my life at the moment. Cool. So yeah, that sounds like that's more meaningful, right? The Vatican's cool, but in terms of meaningful, seeing somebody that's trying to make their dream a reality and you're helping them do that, that's really cool. Well, it's such a knock-on, isn't it? You know, when you send someone to the Vatican to get married, that, that experience looks after two people and their close friends. If you can get someone to run their business more efficiently, more lucrative, and in an environment where they're having fun, it knocks on to the employees, to their family, to their friends. It's a much wider reach of smiles. Got it. So let's start with your story. I want to hear your story. I want to hear how you got to be the guy that helps <laughs> make these extraordinary things happen, being uh, as rough around the edges as you deem yourself to be. Uh, although I know deep down you're this, you're a big, warm, fuzzy guy. But uh, <laughs> but I want to hear, yeah, I want to hear your story and then we'll pivot into, you know, at least one, uh, if not a couple of uh, your favorite blue fishing, you know, experiences that you've created for the people. But how'd you get into this world? Well, this is where I lose all credibility now. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, was a, I was a bricklayer from East London that um, my entire family, and I'm on about my granddad, my uncles, my cousins, we all worked on a building site. All right. So I remember one day, and I can remember this literally like it was three minutes ago. I walked up the scaffolding onto the scaffolding line, and we were bricklayers. And I looked to the right of me, and I saw my dad, my cousins, my uncles, and right at the end, my granddad. And I'm not kidding you. It was like I saw my family future, my, my, my life tree in front of me of where I was going to end up. And, you know, you get those moments when something, you know, a big aha moment. I remember sitting in the shed at, at tea time. At, uh, you know, you have a little break at like about 10.30 in the morning mm -hmm. on the building side. And I'm sat there with my cup of tea. And it was like a deer in headlights. I had actually been kicked in the nuts. I suddenly saw my entire future in front of me. And I was sat next to my granddad. And I remember saying to him, did you ever think that you'd be doing this? And of course, like big Irish guy, he was like 60, you know, 68, 69, 
something like that, working on a building site, being rained on, you know? Yeah. And he turned around to me and he went, if you don't leave today, you'll be me tomorrow. Huh. So, of course, your dad owns the company, which is only a little bricklaying firm, but, you know, you're living near his house. So what do I do? Like an idiot, I walk up to my dad and I quit. Um, and like all entrepreneurs, we know more of what doesn't fit than quite often what does fit. So we try loads of different things. Entrepreneurs are searchers. We're like gophers. We're always looking for where's the next thing? What can we try? Where's the peg going to finally fit the right hole? Um, and I did that. And I actually ended up getting a, and this will make you giggle. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting a job as a trainee stockbroker from London in Hong Kong. Hmm. And I talked my way into this job. They were doing a mass employment drive. To say that I was uh, uh, more imaginative than anything from Harry Potter was probably an understatement. But they had actually fell for it, and they flew me over to Hong Kong to be a stockbroker. Um, I landed on the Saturday. I got drunk with them on the Saturday and Sunday, did orientation on the Monday, and I was fired on the Tuesday. (laughs) And so... I ended up, you know, as as you've seen me, what God built before, I ended up working on the door of Hong Kong nightclubs. Okay, there you go. I could see that. Yep, yeah, of course you could. <laughs> and from there, I noticed, and I've always kept things primitive. I'm a real primitive blunt instrument. And that's actually been my secret source so many times. But I made a conscious decision then at the time that if I want to meet rich people, I've got to be a value to rich people. There needs to be a reason I'm in that circle. And secondly, if I'm going to do something and invite people over to it, I'm only going to invite rich people because guess what? Poor people can't afford you. Hmm, okay. So it's harsh, it's cruel, but I didn't want to be poor. So on the door, I used to set up that I would get a cut of the door and I would start inviting the uh, the new expatriates and the rich and affluent and the young and the hip and the trendy, never the poor kid that was going to sit at the bar and nurse a beer all night because that was me. And I didn't want me in the nightclub. I wanted the future of me Hmm. in the nightclub. So then I started just doing that. And then I started throwing these parties in penthouses on yachts. Then I started working for other people on how to get the right community into them. And before you knew it, I was working for, I suppose I was a fancy club promoter. And then um, I worked for award shows. And this was what year are we looking at? What year roughly? Oh, this was very early in the 90s. Okay, got it. This was pre-email and smartphone. Got it. So this is when my invites used to go out on a Friday afternoon by fax. And it used to take about two to three hours to be able to send these bloody faxes out. (laughs) <laughs> um, I remember actually we moved the fax machine once into a different room because we were sick to death of the usual kind of like, <gasps> so we actually moved the fax machine so the poor person that we had doing all the faxes could be out of our earshot. So you didn't have to listen to that annoying sound? Oh, bloody annoying. So, <laughs> um, so that's how we used to do it. And it just grew and it grew from there. And I that key element of being a value to someone, if you want to be in anybody's circle, You've got to be a value. Now, that means you could make people smile by telling jokes. That could yeah. be that you are an intellect, so you like to open up their eyes, whatever. But you have to be a value to the circle. If you're in a circle now and you're not giving any value to it, 
then really are you in that circle or are you nothing more than just a, a Klingon? So I, I started off from a very early age believing that I'm not going to be in a relationship until I can be of value. Mm, yeah, that's one of my kind of self philosophies that I have in my affirmations has always been that the more value you add to the lives of others, the more valuable you become to others, right? Yeah. So exactly what you're saying here. So, all right, so you got into this world of kind of, you were in the nightlife and then you realized that, hey, if I want to get ahead professionally, I need to surround myself with and attract and become of value so I can attract people that can help me get where I want to go and that are in alignment with where I want to be. So, and then how does that path lead you to start your own company, Blue Fishing? Well, it was funny because um, the only time in my life I never asked was when I was asking these for people for a job. My thought process was that if I can accumulate a big number of affluent people around me and socialize with them, before you know it, one of them's going to offer me a job. That, that was my thought. And again, I never asked. I should have, but I didn't. Yeah. But in the meantime, while being a value, they were asking me, they were saying, hey, I'm going to London. Can you do something around Wimbledon? Can you do? Before I realized it, I was the guy that could. And because my eye was fixed over here on getting a job with these people, I never got scared of the requests they had. Had I maybe tried to turn it into a business at that time, maybe I would have been petrified of the requests. Mm. But for me, someone would be like, hey, I'm going, I'm going to LA. Can you get me in the award show? I'd be like, mm, sure, people go to award shows. Why can't it be you? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. And I got good at being able to get people into things by never asking a question that somebody could answer with a no. Mm. That's been one of my key mantras. I have always believed if you get a no in a conversation, yeah. you're asking the wrong person or the wrong question. I love it. If you get a no, you're asking the wrong person, the wrong question. And there's so many applications for that, right? If you're a salesperson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every single time. You're in front of the wrong prospect. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always had that in my head. And so I remember this again, vividly. My, my wife, I've been with her since we were both in our very young teens and, uh, you know, childhood sweethearts. I remember her walking into the office we had at this stage when we were living in Switzerland. And bearing in mind, every couple of days, I would take all my earrings out and I would go and have lunch with these people, trying, hoping that one of them was going to go, hey, Steve, you know, but no, I'd come back with more business on, you know, travel and access and, you know, the wild and wacky adventures. My wife actually said to me, you're spinning your wheels. Why don't you actually focus on what you do well? And let's see if there's any, any length there. Now, bear in mind, we're now in, 19, and I could be firm on this, we're now in 1996. Okay. And I could be firm on that date. There were no lifestyle concierge firms of this standard around at the time. All the concierge firms were like call centers that were attached to the back of your credit card. Yeah. There was no VIP pay per year to have a luxury bespoke concierge. They didn't exist. And so for anybody listening, if they're not clear, what is a luxury concierge? So people understand what Bluefish, what your company does. So there's a few out there, but a luxury concierge is a bespoke organization of our standard that you purchase an annual membership. Ours is $5,000 starting. And then what you do is you can contact that person to book a restaurant, book a hotel, get you for a meet and greet with the Pope, get you a piano lesson with Elton John. It basically covers the entire gamut of your daily travel and business life all the way through to achieving your bucket list items. Yeah. I just want to dive right into this, one of the stories. The one that involved 
the Pope, the Vatican. I don't remember all the details, but fill us in on uh, that was one of my favorite. And, uh, you know, whichever your favorite fits into those I'm trying to remember. <laughs> but uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, we just had a client contact us one day and um, he said to us that he wanted to get married in the Vatican. <laughs> and um, he, you know, he was only going to get married once. And so he thought, can I get married in the Vatican? And is it possible that the Pope could come in and see us uh, during the, the service? So we had, uh, had it arranged that uh, we had a chapel inside St. Peter's where uh, the wedding ceremony was to be organized. And then halfway through the ceremony, Pope Francis comes in and blesses the couple. <laughs> and so it's that kind of stuff. But I think that's big and that's brash and that's yeah. very expensive and that's very wonderful. But during this, and while I was actually working in Rome, uh, another client of ours actually, and I like this one a bit better, he wasn't so specific. He contacted us because he wanted a dinner in Florence at an exclusive restaurant. Okay, I think this is the one that I'm thinking of. Yeah, go ahead. Right. So with when someone wants an exclusive restaurant, and nine times out of ten, what people want, what they ask for, and what they truly want are miles apart. Okay. You know, I've noticed that many, many times in my life. So the guy wanted an exclusive restaurant, one that couldn't be top, the best restaurant in Florence. Now, if anyone's ever been to Tuscany in Florence, they don't do that kind of restaurant. The whole point of Florence is to be sitting there with like 20 other people you've never met before, sharing bread and drinking wine and passing the olive oil down the table. You know, it's that kind of Tuscan living, you know? It's not the precocious New York style of restaurants that we're used to. Mm -hmm. So we had to design and invent something to give him his exclusivity and something that couldn't be beaten. So we actually closed down an entire museum at three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> set up a table of six in the academia at the feet of Michelangelo's David. So which museum is that housed in? The academia. Oh, okay, got it, got it. And this is the statue of David? Yeah, David. <laughs> easily, easily the most iconic statue in the world. Uh, some people say the Statue of Liberty, but I would definitely say David is probably more well-known worldwide. And so this wasn't a model of the statue of David. This was oh, the no. actual statue the, yeah. carved by Michelangelo. The funny thing is, as I've got to tell you this story. This, uh, I don't know if you heard this element. Okay. At the front of the actual museum are these two massive great wooden doors that very rarely open up. Okay. okay? It's not where the public go in. It's usually where they're bringing statues and artwork in and out. They had these two doors open because we were bringing in all the table and decoration for the dinner table. As it's happening, there's all security around. I was talking to this guy that was about twice the size of me, and there was all these brass plaques on the door. And I said to him, just in making conversation, what do these say? Thinking that, you know, it was like, you know, donors to the, to the museum, yeah. you know, rich affluent families. Yeah. And they were all in different languages. And he said... They actually all say the exact same thing. And I said, oh, what's that? He said, no food and drink in the academia. <laughs> nice. And as he said that, there's our people walking in with hot plates and stoves and candles. And it was just hilarious. Uh, so we set up a dinner at the feet of David. And then we had promised a client that a local entertainer would provide some music during the dinner. Yeah. Because when you're in a museum, it's deadly quiet. Uh, sure. Okay. And you don't think about these things unless you've done it a bit. Yeah. So we needed some kind of uh, music just to keep it going along and not make it uncomfortable. 
We didn't tell him huh. we'd actually secured Andrea Bocelli. So <laughs> just as dinner was just past the appetizers and we had a string quartet giving some ambience, I let him know that the local entertainer had turned up and in walked the maestro Andrea Bocelli to serenade them during dinner. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I forget the beginning of the story. Was it his wife? Who was the person he was with? It was his girlfriend. It was his fiance that he wanted to do the dinner with and the fiance's parents. So it was only a table of six. Yeah, I got it. Well, uh, <laughs> I think maybe he needed to score some points with the fiance's parents. And I think <laughs> I think after that, they're like, all right, you, you can marry this guy. Yeah, I think that's it. I, yeah. think, I think those points would have been secured with that one. Yeah, unreal, man. Unreal. So, I mean, obviously... The level that you go to, like what you've done, like, you know, dinner at the Statue of David with Andrea Bocelli serenading you. Most people, that's not on their, you know, list of to do's or the goals they're working on in 2018, right? Well, we want to distill. And that's what your book does, by the way. And if anybody listening has not heard or caught that, Steve's new book is Blue Fishing, right? His company's Blue Fish. This is Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. So Steve, what I want to do is let's distill. What are some of the principles? You talked earlier about, I think, one of the most important principles, which is adding value, becoming of value to the people that you want to connect with, right? In fact, I was coaching a gentleman yesterday. His mother purchased a four-hour meal with me at an auction. So we fulfilled that yesterday. And uh, one of the questions, you know, he had a list of all these questions that he wanted advice on business and life. And his mom inserted a couple of questions. And one of them was, how does my son, who's 21 years old, how does he find an amazing wife, right? And I said, you become the person that the woman of your dreams would find irresistible, right? And I think that's really the principle that you laid out early on. And that's, I think one of, if not the most important principles that who you become determines your success more than anything else. So in addition to that, what are the principles that are universal that some of which you teach in the book that people listening can apply to make anything happen in their life, uh, whatever their goals may be? Yeah, I've got a very similar, just to continue from that statement, I've got a very similar uh, line on that. We, we all go around to a lot of events now. Or yeah. Networking is a very, very easy thing to do now with the amount of opportunities we've got. You may not be very good at it, but there's a lot of places that you can go and do networking now. I'm not very good at it, but keep going. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I think that's maybe that's maybe how me and you just ended up yeah, at the right. table, you know? Nobody would talk to us and we were sitting in the back of the room. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you look like a, you know, yeah, yeah. I think that's how, how we connected. But I've always believed that getting your foot in the door with anybody, with the amount that we can stalk people now, yeah. It's actually very easy. You can get in front of most people if you're pushy and forceful and focused enough. The goal no longer is getting your foot in the door. The goal and objective is to be so irresistible that they don't want you to leave. Mm. And that's the element that people are missing out on. People are focusing so much at getting, getting to meet the person that they are failing to research that once the connection's made, how do they start to build a relationship? And here's the key thing, and I've said it many times in anything that I've ever spoke on, screw Bitcoin. Relationships <laughs> will provide the best ROI time and time and time again. So you want to focus on the relationships. And I give an example of how many 300-year-old oak trees do you have in your, in your Rolodex? Um, 
for start, you know, given my age right now, most people don't have a bloody Rolodex. But yeah. the point is that when you get a oak tree seed, there are a billion ways that that thing can die at that moment. All you got to do is stick it on your desk and not even feed it. And yeah. it's dead in a few days. Yeah. So you've got to plant it. You've got to feed it. You've got to nurture it. You've got to prune it. You've got to protect it. You've got to keep feeding that thing until it gets to a size like a 300-year-old oak tree that you physically can run a bus into it and the tree will survive. Now, that's the exact same metaphor for every relationship you have. You've got to focus your hardest at the beginning when you're building up that relationship. Anything can destroy that relationship at the beginning stages. You've got to feed it, nurture it, protect it, prune it, keep feeding it, keep loving it, and build up that relationship until it's a point where you may not have contacted the person for two years, but you can still reach out and go, Hal, how are you doing, buddy? And the relationship's strong because you've taken your time to invest yourself in that relationship. And sadly, most people nowadays don't. And relationships is still the only thing you can not download an app for. Hmm. So my key, one of my keys is very much focused on your relationships. The other one, quite simply, is mindset. Okay. I'm going to go relationship mindset, and then I'm going to go how to activate that. Okay. My mindset was actually given to me by my father, who is a bigger, thicker, blunt instrument than I am. <laughs> and... I remember this this man once put his arm on my shoulders, didn't even look at me, and he said to me, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. And at the time, I was like 14 years old, and I'm now going, what the hell was that? (laughs) You know? But it's amazed me that that mindset, every time I've gone down, I thought, okay, I've got two choices. I stay here. Or I get back up. And there's nothing more empowering than getting back up. And no one falls over the same way twice. So you learn from all of these mistakes. Yeah. So now let's go into the final one, which is the activation. If everyone's walking right, walk left. Now, at the moment, everyone uses email marketing. You email blast so much now to communicate with people because guess what? It's free. Well, it's not free if someone's not responding to you. And it's not free if they delete your correspondence. Or it's not free if one of the filter programs has stopped your message even getting through. So there's many ways that that free email is actually costing you. Sure, the opportunity cost. It's absolutely. So why focus on it? If I send out 10 texts to someone even better, if I send out 10 video texts to people, like, and, and I can prove this, you quoted earlier about me texting you about the Oscar parties. Yeah, that's right. You didn't say email, you said text. Yeah. And that's because every single day, everyone gets 100 to 2,000 emails. <laughs> sure. How many texts do you get? And also, when you pick up your phone in the morning, and you can see a text alert, and you can see the email number, what do you always answer first? Yeah, text. That's a great point. Every single time. So if everyone's sending out emails, knock himself out. You focus on text. If everyone starts doing text, you start doing a recorded voicemail and sending it to them as voicemail. They start doing that, you start sending letters. 
bottom line of it is go where there is the least noise and aggravation. So whatever anyone is doing as the marketing trend of today, do the opposite. I love it. So to give our listeners a tool that they can utilize, which email platform or program do you utilize? Do you recommend, et cetera? Okay, we have these different days throughout the month, and this is my entire team, and I've got concierge worldwide. We have no email Tuesday or no email Wednesday. So we will pick a couple of days a month where we actually don't email anyone. Now, I use Constant Contact to send out emails, and I use Microsoft Exchange because you want to keep a record of your emails. But the way I will do it is I will communicate with you, Hal, And there's the key word, communicate. You're not communicating if you're just emailing someone. Because out of email, they can't hear your tone of voice, that passion. They can't hear any of those things. And if you say to me, like if you coughed now or sneezed, I would go, oh, bless you. You're all right, fella. Do you need some water? We're communicating. Yeah. But you don't have that in an email. I send you an email. I wait a couple of days. You respond to the email. I wait a day. I send you the email. But... That's not a conversation. So if I've got anyone like Florence, like the Pope, anything like that, and they email me, I'm on the phone. And usually what I'll do first is I will text you a video of me going, Hal, I got the request regarding the Vatican and the Pope. When's a good time for us to chat? And I will send it to you via text. Mm -hmm. Then you will come back to me and I will appoint the time. I'll put it in the calendar and send you an invite so that we're both confirmed. And I may send you a reminder. Then I will converse with you. And only then will I send you an email saying, Hal, thanks a lot for the chat this morning. These were the points that I got. Am I missing anything? And you have to do that because you have to protect your last because you want to make sure that you're both on the same page. And so that email becomes one of the final elements of qualifying that you're both having the same conversation. Got it. I love it. I love the personal touch and personal interaction. And like you said, the back and forth communication. Yep. So the question I was asking though, that I didn't fully get an answer to is, can you recommend the email or the text program that you use to be able to send Ah. text messages to your subscribers, your list, et cetera? Yes. Sorry. I thought you were talking about the email. The email clients I use, uh, Microsoft Exchange, and I just use Outlook. And and I use Zoho for my, my CRM. But the text one, that's the beautiful one. Randy Garn, and I think you probably know Randy, but Randy Garn owns a phenomenal company called Scipio. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. Now that thing, that thing is horrible the way it's so efficient. And the way I say horrible, because you can actually plug in a text and you can send it to thousands upon thousands of people by the push of a button. But you know the problem? The problem is it's efficient. And as I said before, be prepared for tons of people to come back. I remember once sending out, and I've got a massive database. I remember once sending out an email, uh, sorry, a text. And I think it was a text to maybe, you know, 2,500 people. Now, if I had sent that out by email, then you can guarantee that it probably only would have been opened up by about 20% of people. Yeah. And of those 20% of people, I would have got dripped responses over maybe a two to three day period. Yeah. Okay. I send out 2,500 <laughs> texts 
all of a sudden, I lost a complete day <laughs> because everyone was going, that sounds great, Steve. Tell me more. Yeah, yeah. And you look like the arsehole if you're not responding going, hey, sure, I'll send it to you now. It was so... So what I do now, I learned from that, I literally send out 150 to maybe 200 texts a time. Yeah, so you can manage the responses. You can, because the responses come at you thick and hard. The yeah. open rate of a text is up into the 90s. Yeah. The open rate of an email, if you're good, you know, can be in the 20s. But nine yeah. times out of 10, it's in the low teens to the 10s. Yeah. And that's Scipio. By the way, how do you spell Scipio? S-K-I-P, I think it's either I-O or E-O. Is it two Ps or one? One. All right, cool. And another program, if anybody wants to compare and contrast, including you, Steve, but um, is uh, Conveyor. C-O-N-V-E-Y-O-U-R, conveyor.com. And uh, I'll have to look into Scipio, but uh, Conveyor is a similar, very interactive platform. And when you do send a video, it hosts it on Conveyor's server. So you don't have to upload it to YouTube. It doesn't take up space in the phone. It plays instantly. So and there's some cool advantages to it. Ooh. And you can manage the text and Scipio might do this too, but you can manage the text via a dashboard. So like when we use it for like our event, my director of operations, Tiffany, can be on her computer and, you know, typing responses with her fingers versus having to, you know, use the phone to do it. So cool. But I'll check out Scipio for sure. So, all right. So we've got relationships, mindset, and then activation. Define activation. I know you gave us some tips on it, right? Do something different than everybody else is doing. But what do you, how do you define activation? Is that just how you're implementing or what, how do you define that word? Yeah, I've noticed that a lot of people come to me and I've ended up becoming like a therapist. And this is in the business consulting and it's in the uh, the wish fulfillment bucket list with Bluefish. People will come to you and they will ask, they will tell you something that they want. People are very generous about telling you what they want. Yeah, You know, I want more clients. I want to go and play uh, uh, piano with Elton John. I want to go to this. I want to do that. People are very generous at telling you what they want. What has constantly amazed me is that they will tell you what they want and then spend the next 60 seconds telling you why it can't be done. <laughs> Got it. And they will say to you, oh, yeah, I want to get more clients, but I don't have the right CRM. I don't have this. Oh, I can't get that. I can't afford that. I can't be seen with that. I don't know that celebrity. It's almost like they're spending so much energy on telling you why it can't be done rather than exerting the exact same amount of energy on the one reason they should. Got it. And I'm a great believer that a phenomenal idea with zero implementation is as valuable as dog. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Steve. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. So unless there's anything that you want to share in between what I'm about to request, which is I'd love to wrap up with one more uh, fun story. Any one of your favorite stories to tell, whether that be a bluefish experience, something from your own life when you made something incredible happen, uh, you know, whether it was for you or for somebody else. Um, yes. And I'm knowing you, I, I think you're going to like this one because I know the family man you are. Yeah. Ditto, man. I wanted, by the way, I wanted to mention that you did say something and I, I was going to comment back on it, which is, you know, as rough as you are around the edges, sir, you know, you've been with your wife since uh, you said high school, right? How old were you guys when you got together? Uh, I was 17. She was 16. Right on. And you've got how many kids? I've got three. Got it. And uh, last time we connected, which was before I had cancer, was probably a year or so ago. But uh, I know you guys were big into motorcycling. And is that you and all the kids? You guys all ride motorcycles? Everyone bar my wife. She is so challenged 
and, <laughs> and being able to get on a motorbike. We actually had to have a family intervention. She was so focused <laughs> and gut wrenched that she was the only member of the family that couldn't ride. Yeah, she was just she was hurting herself. That there had to be a family intervention to get her off. <laughs> Mom, it's okay. There are yep. other activities we can do together that are less dangerous yep. for you. <laughs> That was uh, it. That's funny. All right, cool, brother. Well, yeah, I just want to touch on what a family man you are. And uh, yeah, man, share the story. I'm excited. So I had a client contact me and most of my stuff can, can you know, start from like 50 grand up to um, millions. Um, yeah. And it quite often does. But I had this client that I've been working with for about eight years and he was having one of the pinnacle anniversaries, his 20th anniversary. Okay. And he had spent anywhere from 50 grand to three quarters of a million dollars on an anniversary. So each year he'd done something a little bit more spectacular. This one year he contacts me, he went, Steve, it's, it's the 20th. We've got to do something big. We've got to do something amazing. We've got to do something impactful. And it was that last word that twisted my entire mentality. We interviewed him to how he first met his, his wife. And we learned that he used to, you know, like every young lad caught him, he basically stalked her at college and would try and take her to dances and was constantly getting denied and declined by her. <laughs> and one day what he did was he set up his mum's uh, picnic rug um, that she used to have in the car. He set up this tartan picnic rug outside the class where she came out of college. He had a boom box there and he had a hamper with champagne and um, sandwiches in it. And as she came out, now this was in front of the entire college. As she came out of her class, he hits the romantic tunes, pops the champagne and says, care to join me? Now that cheesy attempt to get her attention and the willingness to put himself completely out there to be ridiculed, that worked. Okay? Yeah. So 20 years later... We went through old photographs. His parents weren't alive anymore, but we went through old photographs to find, was there a picture of the old uh, tartan rug? Was there a picture of the hamper? Was there a picture of the beatbox that he had? So we replicated in a park the original picnic that he had. Now, here's the dumb thing. We had to search high and low to get a working boombox that one DMC (laughs) would have been happy with. We went through three to get one that was working. And get this, how the hell do you record any music on it? Because all of the all of the inserts and all of the connections, we've all got HDMI and little you know, Wi-Fi. Those yeah. old boom boxes, they don't have any of that stuff. Yeah. So we had to get a cassette. We had to find a cassette <laughs> for a start. We had to get a cassette and get it recorded with his list of music. And we sent the wife off in the limousine. Now, she went off in the limousine on one way thinking, oh, what are we going to do? I think the year before, we had flown them from Chicago to Paris for dinner and then back again the following day on a private jet. So that was what she was used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's gone off on cocktail and she's very casually dressed. She was told to be casual. She goes off in one way. We go off in the other, get everything set up, and you can't corner off a public park. You're not allowed to do that. Sure. So we had dog walkers with long leads, literally doing big circles around this tartan uh, picnic camper and rug so that no one could get interfere with them. <laughs> okay. And the car pulls up. She steps out of the car. We're all hiding behind the trees. She steps out. She sees him on the tartan rug. He hits the button. 
some soppy tunes come out and he pops the cork and says, care to join me? Hmm. Now, this was 20 years after the first time that he had ever done that. She hit the deck like a sack of spuds crying her eyes out. And I'm not kidding you. And I'll tell you, this is a grown ass man. I was weeping like a baby. <laughs> it was so impactful. Wow. And that was the key. The whole thing we ended up being about 1600 bucks because we'd had to buy three of the bloody boom boxes. <laughs> um, so it was very cheap. Yeah. But it was very impactful. And she could not make it from the car to the tartan rug because she was crying so much. They had to get up and escort her over. And even, and they've done other stuff since, you know, yeah. that was like about five years ago. Yeah. But you know, when I'm in a party with them and they've done, they've done piano lessons with great people. They've been on stage. They, we put them on a Broadway show once where they were actually in the show. Um, we've done some stupid, ridiculous stuff of big numbers. That's the story she always quotes. Wow. Yeah. How meaningful, how meaningful that is. And I mean, you got me thinking, I'm like, how could I do this, something similar, right? For my, in yeah. fact, everybody listening, what's beautiful about that story too, Steve, is right. A lot of what you've done is so extraordinary and potentially so costly, right? That people are like, Oh, wow, that's really cool. You know, it's a fascinating story, but gosh, I could never pay a million dollars to make this or that happen. <laughs> but that's something that everybody listening is like, wow, the thoughtfulness that went into that, right? It was thoughtful. It was meaningful. It wasn't expensive, but it made a, a bigger impact than any amount of money that could have been thrown uh, at that particular occasion. So. Absolutely. Beautiful, man. Well, the book is Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. It is endorsed by Sir Elton John, Forbes, entrepreneur who I love it, calls you the modern day Wizard of Oz. That's a pretty cool, <laughs> that's a pretty cool uh, endorsement. And uh, yeah, this is a great book. Where's the best place to get your book? Where's the best place to follow you, connect with you, et cetera? Well, both of them you can hit on the uh, website, stevedsims.com. It's got all the links on there for you, the usual suspects, you know, Amazon. Um, books a million, you know, all the other audible versions. Sure. But also you can sign up for my newsletter there or just hunt me down on Facebook under Steve D. Sims, Steve Sims. And you can also do that on Instagram. Cool. And uh, so stevedsims.com, everybody, that is where to get it. And uh, if you want to apply the art of making anything happen, aka what Steve calls blue fishing, check out the book. Steve, I love you, brother. Great to have you on. Cheers, pal. Yeah, you too, man. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Achieve Your Goals podcast and to get access to today's show notes, transcript, and exclusive content from Hal Elrod, visit halelrod.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. 